After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter, and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. Welcome to this week's edition of the Baseball America College Podcast. I'm Teddy Cahill. Joining me, as always, is my colleague Joe Healy, and we will be joined here in a little bit by Florida State coach Mike Martin. We're going to do some ACC preview on this episode, and we're going to talk some Knowles, obviously, uh, with Mike Martin Jr. But first, we got to let you know that the Baseball America College Podcast is presented by Rapsodo. Rapsodo has become the industry standard in player performance data. Coaches use Rapsodo data as a measuring stick for player development and evaluation. The Rapsodo National Player Database is a free service that allows you to see how you stack up against your peers and provides a pathway to get discovered by scouts. Check out the Rapsodo National Player Database at rapsodo.com slash national database. All right, Joe, it's, uh, it's February officially as we record this podcast. That means college baseball starts this month. That's, uh, that's exciting, I guess. Uh, official team practice started last Friday, which is definitely exciting that, uh, you know, after the, that, that few week period of, you know, more individual workouts, uh, teams are now fully into preseason training. Opening day is just a few weeks away. It's all, it's all coming quick now. Last week we had a preseason top 25 this week. We have preseason all Americans. It's, uh, it's all coming together. Indeed, it is. And as if on cue, we are having, um, I think probably maybe you could think of another, but I think I'm confident in saying this is the coldest week we've had uh, since last winter, probably. This week has been um, consistently, at least, has been probably the coldest week that, that we've had. And that there's something about that that just tells me that it's about time for college baseball to get started. You know, it's uh, it's not quite the same here in North Carolina as it was um, as it college and in henna or you know home in cleveland but uh i i remember either my freshman or sophomore year at ball state going up to cover like the you know, write a story for the, the start of preseason practice and it was pouring snow which does not happen often in muncie uh but it was so nice to get into into the 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 I don't remember what the building's called at Ball State anymore, but the you know the, where the turf field is and into the inside, and people are out there like doing baseball things. And I was like, ah, oh, this is this is so much better, <laughs> so much better than that snowstorm I just walked in from. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's a spring sport, sure, but it definitely definitely doesn't start that way. So uh, you know, for everyone that's in the indoors and you know, braving some elements to, to get outside. I know that there are a lot of schools that want to get outside every day just to do a little something, even if it's just to play catch uh, for five minutes before getting back at it in, inside. Uh, you know, shouts to, to everyone who, uh, who, who was back at it in some adverse weather conditions this weekend. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Shout out to, to those guys toughing it out there. Um, yeah, because it's, it's, it's having lived in the Midwest for about five years before this, I truly understand that how inhospitable the weather can be at, at this time of year. Two, two quick anecdotes. One was, it was clear to me, you know, that, that uh, college baseball is, is, is really a winter sport for about half of its season. Coaches will, of course, tell you that. When I was driving from where I lived in Illinois to the Vanderbilt Duke series to start the 2018 season, and it was, it was truly one of those times where, you know, people who cover this sport will appreciate this, where you, you start to, you start a drive or a travel, however you're getting there, you start travel to wherever you're going. And there's a part of you that just thinks, I'm not entirely sure these games are going to get played. I might be wasting my time here. And this was one of them. And so, you know, from where I lived, I lived in the kind of the South central part of Illinois. And so it, it was kind of like a, basically just a five hour drive to Nashville, not too terribly bad, but it snowed 
not pouring snow, but snowed pretty consistently for all but the last 30 minutes of my drive to Nashville. And then the final approach to Nashville, the temperature warmed up just enough to where it was like just really, really cold rain, which is arguably worse because it's just wetter. So uh, that was that was one. The other was, this was opening day 2015. And I was still working a, a day job in an office and I got off work opening day and was so excited like to go, you know, to go home and, and fire up the, the laptop and, and stream some games or maybe there was something on TV. There's typically not a ton on TV the first few weeks of the season, but you know, I was, I was excited to, to get going watching, watching some games on opening day. And so I'm walking out to my car, but we had just gotten a snow and then it did that thing where it kind of, it melted a little bit, but then it refroze because we had a cold snap. So this parking lot in my office is like covered in ice and they've treated it, but it's like not, you know, some parts are treated well and some parts aren't. So some parts are frozen, some parts aren't. And I get right about to my car and I just do that thing where like my feet come out from under me and it probably looked cartoonish to anyone looking outside of me. I'm doing that thing where I'm trying to catch my balance and my feet keep trying to like slip out from under me. So I do this for probably six or seven steps and then fall right on my butt. And, uh, you know, I kind of looked around and I'm sure people inside the building could see me, but no one was outside. So I felt pretty good about that. And I just remember sitting there on the ground thinking like, this is nuts. Like college baseball season starts today and I'm sitting here on the ground now with a wet butt, you know, my jeans are wet from having just fallen in the parking lot because we got snow and ice this week. And that's just crazy. So I'm glad, you know, living here, it's, it's been pretty cold these last few days, but it's, you're right. Nothing like the Midwest. So I, I have a, a lot of, uh, a lot of respect for, for the players and coaches who have made careers and baseball lives out of trying to get on the field at this time of year up there, because it's just certainly not easy. Absolutely. Well, hopefully this, uh, this college baseball talk will uh, warm you up a little bit. Um, before we get into what we're, what we're here to talk about, I guess, officially is the ACC preview. And Joe and I want to do some you know, conference-specific previews over the next couple of weeks uh, to get us ready for the season. Uh, we're going to start here with the ACC. Before we get into that, though, Joe, let's briefly touch on the preseason All-Americans. Uh, which were released, I guess, if you're listening to this Tuesday, yesterday over at BaseballAmerica.com. encourage you to, to check them out there for the 40th year. Um, yeah, it's the 40th anniversary of Baseball America. So uh, we have again asked uh, the Major League Baseball scouting directors to vote for these preseason All-America teams. Do that annually. It provides a really nice gauge of talent in college baseball last year it was i mean it's always very reflective of you know draft success and of on-field success uh but the draft success was very very clearly illustrated last year there were 29 first round picks 16 of them had been preseason all-americans and i think it's 11 had been preseason first team all-americans and while you might say well yeah i mean they didn't really get much of a chance to change anyone's minds like okay sure but that if anything like further illustrates that what our preseason all-america team looks like right now like that is at least entering the season a pretty consensus view of how major league baseball teams see this talent stacking up um you know so that's uh that's something to keep in mind as, as you look at our teams. I don't know that anything, you know, at least if you view it through the prism of remembering that, uh, you know, the, the draft stock here is one of the things that is, is in Major League Scouting directors' minds the most when they're making these, these votes. Uh, it's not the only thing that they're considering, but I mean, it's certainly one of the main ways that they interact with these players uh, or, or think about these players. Uh, so if you think about it through that lens, I don't know that anything particularly is, is terribly surprising. Kumar Rocker's a unanimous first team All-American, as is Judd Fabian, uh, Florida, or, uh, Miami, excuse me, and Vanderbilt are the only teams with multiple players on the, pre the first team team. Vanderbilt, in addition to Rocker, had Jack Leiter. Uh, Miami has Adrian Del Castillo and Alex Terrell. Vanderbilt and Louisville have the most preseason All-Americans with four apiece. 
Um, you know, those are the highlights for me, Joe. Uh, what what else stood out to you when you were when you were looking at at the the All America teams? Well, it is interesting to me that something you and I had an, an offline conversation um, this morning about uh, first base and Alex Terrell being a, a first team uh, All American, and, and to a college baseball fan, that probably doesn't strike you as strange because it's like, Oh, it's Alex Trowell. You know, maybe the, in terms of just pure power hitters, perhaps the best in college baseball. But when you, when you look at it through the prism of what, how we do our all American team, that might surprise people a little bit because he's not necessarily thought of as a, you know, a, a, a surefire, um, you know, blue chip prospect. I mean, there's a reason he's back in college. Correct. This year. Exactly. And so then you look at like the second Ditto team. Ditto for the second teamer with Bobby Seymour. Yeah. Bobby Seymour and Nico Cavadas. Like yeah. you've got three yeah. good. All draft eligible players. a year ago. Right. Exactly. So now first base is always a tricky position because there, there are a lot of really productive players who are going to be pros, but aren't necessarily blue chip prospects at first base, because if, if they were more athletic, they might be outfielders, for example. So, you know, that that's, that's part of it. First base is always a little bit tricky like that. So that was just kind of interesting to me that that was a position where this year in particular, it was really pretty heavy on, on production, especially if you buy, you know, the 2020 production for a guy like Nico Cavadas, for example. So that was interesting to me. Uh, I was also interested to see, you can kind of um, using the all American team. Obviously we've already done top 25 rankings. We've already started to put out preview content. So it won't be a surprise to people who've been following along, but you can use the all America team as a, as a way to find kind of teams that might be trendy in, in the upcoming season. And, you know, as a way to kind of see what teams are on the come up, because you look and you see how heavy the Tennessee flavor is here with position players, you know, you've got a first teamer in, in Max Ferguson. You've also got Jake Rucker is in the mix here. Uh, you've got Jackson Lee in the mix here, which that, that one was a little bit of a, a surprise to me. It's, it's a big arm. And the fact that he's a, a reliever maybe helps a little bit. We had him listed at, at reliever on the ballot. So that maybe helps some there, but, but Tennessee's got some representation here. Boston college, obviously, as we've talked about them quite a bit, actually, so that shouldn't be a surprise to anybody, but you, um, you know, you, you kind of see that they're well re- represented. So those are a couple of teams that are clearly on the come up. And my final thought here is that the 2021 season, I think this is kind of gets wrapped up in the idea that because we didn't have a full 2020, we, we just are kind of, maybe there are some gaps in finding the next group of stars in college baseball beyond the, the true upper crust guys who have been in our lives for a few years. Um, I think you could see that a little bit in the utility players. I don't mean that to disparage Grant Holman, the first team utility player from Cal, who's a, who's a, a big arm, who's also been a, a productive hitter for the bears. But um, you know, you look at, him and then you look at Spencer Jones at Vanderbilt again very talented guy production just because he hasn't been on campus that long is obviously still isn't there then Spencer Schwellenbach who is new to being a utility guy like we really haven't seen him on the mound we talked to Will Bolt about that when he had him on the podcast a couple weeks ago so um, that's a position that's really interesting to me because it feels like we are we are going into the 21 season kind of looking for the next big two-way star in college baseball to when we do this postseason and you and I are doing it in the postseason to find that guy who's, you know, who's the clear, okay, this was the real dude in terms of, of two-way talents in college baseball. Cause going into the season, I just don't know that we have that obvious guy. Yeah. What I'm not sure about here is whether the idea that, you know, without losing last year, we would have found a guy or if we were just spoiled for several years there, that there was an obvious two-way star. Um, you know, Brendan McKay, A.J. Reed, those guys are supposed to be rare in college baseball, but for a while, there was one right after the other. And maybe we're just in a lull right now. Um, maybe, maybe not. You know, we'll see. Um you know, Holman is an interesting one. I don't know how different he is truly from Tanner Dodson, just in terms of maybe that's a lazy comparison. Cal guys with that are that are two-way guys, yes, but kind of more obviously one way than the other, as opposed to a, a McKay. Um, Spencer Jones and, and Spencer Schwellenbach both really haven't been two-way players in college baseball. Jones 
and Trevon Bach both came in that way, but Jones last year um, was banged up and he wasn't been able to pitch. Still not entirely sure what that's going to look like. Um, and uh, Schwellenbach was, it was just one of those things where I don't think there was much of an injury. I, I, I could be misremembering, but I, I think it was more just like, like Nebraska needed him to do one thing and he couldn't do them both. Um, and now they're going to, you know, explore the idea of doing multiple things again. Um, and, and, you know, that this just happens sometimes, I think, um, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see what two way players do, you know, emerge over the course of the season, if any do, or if this is just more in, we're in a bit of a lull, which is, is a strange place to be in for college baseball, but um, you know, just given the, the last few years, but if you look more over the scope of it, I, I don't know, I, looking around the country, I don't really know who, who the next guy is going to be. So it, it, that, that is something that will be interesting to, to see as it develops over the course of the year. Yeah. I mean, I guess my last thing on that would just be that I think it's also, I think that, the way that we do our All-American teams with the input from the scouting directors also colors a lot of this where unless there is that surefire guy like Brennan McKay, for example, or A.J. Reed, um, you know, you look at a guy like some of the guys that might get consideration on a preseason All-American team, it would typically be guys that maybe aren't – they are two-way guys and they do both. However, to, to the phrase you use, they are, they are more one way than the other. Um, and – betting on maybe a tool like Schwellenbach people really like him on the mound because he's got he's got a big arm and maybe that's them kind of projecting a little bit that maybe his future could be in that regard whereas so I'll draw the comparison just to maybe clarify it a little bit I just went back and looked at the you know 2018 postseason the 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 final all-american teams and you had on the first team Brooks Wilson from Stetson who's a guy who I can't imagine no I was not at BA at the time um, but I can speak for myself when I was I was still covering college baseball then. And he's a guy I kind of knew. And if I remember correctly, he was not really much of a two-way guy before that. He just kind of broke out. Um, and he, yeah, he, he was he was like almost all pitch. Yeah. And like all, all of a sudden was became a hitter. Kind of, you know, I don't want to compare him directly to Joey Lancelotti because Lancelotti's another guy that came in and like could have been a two-way guy, but UNC needed him doing other things. And then last year put a bat in his hands. I don't know for sure that that's what happened at Stetson. Um, but, you know, it was, it was all of a sudden. Yes. So, you know, I, I say all that to say, you know, the preseason, you know, because it's what they do, the scouting directors are kind of looking for tools and projectability. And then, so you compare that to the postseason where it's just about production. Mostly. I mean, we do put a, a lean towards players who have those t- kinds of futures. Typically those two things intersect, but you know, it does lead you to some, especially utility, some guys who are maybe just, productive two-way guys at some smaller programs that maybe don't have as much of a future, things like that. So um, those lists are, are a little bit different. In particular, I think they can be different at the utility position because I'm, I'm sure there will be some mid-major or low-major two-way guys who really just light it up. And, and those guys are more likely to make the postseason list, probably would not be a consideration, even if they'd already put up big numbers for a, a preseason list. And I think maybe that's – utility is a position where maybe that um, – comes into sharp relief more than it does at some other positions. Yeah, I will say the main guy that somebody might be looking at this and say, how did he miss is Davis Sharp at Clemson. And, you know, that's just a, you know, he doesn't have big raw tools. He got, he, he had votes. He just didn't quite make the team, but that's, that's probably the most famous two-way player right now, just because of the, the platform that he has at Clemson is, you know, a Friday starter. Um, but it's uh, it, it's a little lighter in the two-way ranks right now, so that that's something that maybe we'll we'll be able to uh, explore more throughout the season as uh, maybe some of these these guys you know grow and develop. Um, you know, we, we uh, watch the space, I guess, as as the folks say. <laughs> um, I don't think there was a whole lot of other news throughout the, the last week there, Joe. Uh, you know, we've seen a lot of schedules get released. Uh, we're not going to get into those here. You can go look those up on your own. Uh, but the, the schedule rollouts are continuing. That's exciting. Uh, spring practice or you know, practice, team practice starting. That's exciting. And, uh, you know, preseason All-Americans over at the, uh, at the website right now. So I would encourage you to, uh, to check that all out.
we are going to get going to our interview here with Florida State coach Mike Martin Jr. here in a second. Uh, the Knowles, they are a very interesting team coming into the year. We have them ranked number nine, potentially one of the better lineups in the country coming back. A few holes to fill in the rotation, uh, but definitely still still talented on the mound. Uh, but I think this is a, a chance to be a pretty classic Florida State team. Uh, big offense, enough pitching, but you know the, the emphasis a little more on the offensive side this year than maybe it was expected to be last year. Uh, so we'll get into all of that and more with Mike Martin Jr. But first, check this out. Today on the Baseball America College podcast, we're excited to welcome in Florida State coach Mike Martin Jr. Coach, it's, uh, it's an exciting time. We've got practices that just started last week, official full team practice and College baseball is right around the corner. I mean, how are how are you feeling now? As as the season and opening day is is creeping closer? No, it feels great. You know, it's um, you know you always think about. Well, I'm tired of being in a hurry. It feels good to be in a hurry again. You know, to get where you need to get, and we just got to make sure our guys are doing what they're supposed to do on and off the field because um, you know we've tried to pound it into them. The teams that are going to win the most, are the ones that are most disciplined and and do all the take all the precautions that they can to, um, you know, avoid COVID and, you know, obviously take care of their bodies. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, so just in this, this first few weeks back, the individuals and now into the, the, the first few team practices, just what's it been like having the team back together, uh, you know, in this new year? Oh, it's been great. You know, it's, it's good for everybody's, you know, uh, mental health to be around and interact and, uh, do what you love to do. Um, the one problem that we've noticed, and I'm sure it's prevalent all over the country, is they're crazy out of shape. <laughs> you know, you, you tell a college kid, hey, yeah, I need you to be running and working out. They'll do the workout, but they don't – that conditioning and uh, going out for runs and sprints, and they're not really high on that. So we're a little bit behind in that area, but I'm sure everybody is. We, uh, As we're talking to you today, our preseason All-Americans, as voted on by Major League Scouting Directors, has released uh, today, Monday. Robbie Martin included there, not a big surprise, uh, one of the best hitters in the entire country. What have you seen from him and his development throughout his time on campus? Yeah, he's always hit, and um, yeah, that's been his thing. But we challenged him to make himself you know, lighter on his feet and more athletic and um, you know, then he did it. You know, he, he looks a lot better when you see him. You'll you'll see the transformation in his body. And uh, it shows that commitment that the pro guys want to see. And, um, you know, I think he's a big leaguer through and through. And um, I think he'll be up for a long time. He can put together at-bats. Um, he's showing the power. The power's in there. You know, the hit tools always come first. And then the power comes with most guys. And, um, you know, the guy can fly it out, find the barrel. And uh, he's already hit a couple home runs uh, last week. Having him at – Back having you know a lot of these guys back, Cabell, um, you know, in that outfield as well. I mean, you just have a very deep, exciting lineup. What do you make of that group as you you know kind of get into it here, and and what what do you think they have to do to take a another step forward? Well, they just have to continue, you know, their the maturation of of learning from year to year. Uh, you know, Reese was coming off the shoulder injury and missed the whole fall last year. Got off to a slow start and. then started getting it going before the shutdown. And, um, you know, Cabell's a guy that uh, there, there's not a better power speed combo, in my opinion, in the country. Uh, he put on 30 pounds of muscle. He's hitting balls that are, um, you know, it's humorous how far he's hitting the ball. Sure, he's got some swing and miss that we're working on. But, um, you know, the guy accounted for three runs a game in a shortened season. But still, accounting for three runs a game when you combine runs and RBIs, that's hard to do. And, um, you know, of course, Robbie out and right. But they're going to be in the middle of our order and uh, do the heavy lifting. We're going to do everything we can to uh, shore up our infield defense. And uh, because the defense is fine and offense in the outfield, we just got to put the missing pieces of the puzzle together in the infield. I was hoping you could confirm something for us. I saw on, on Twitter the other day you were quoted as saying uh, one of the problems with Elijah Cabell, though, is he keeps losing baseballs, and that's the uh, that's the only issue you've had with him. So has he forced you to put in a panic reorder for baseballs? And, uh, you know, you, you alluded to it, but I, I imagine you have to be pretty happy with what you've seen from him so far this preseason if the biggest problem is that he keeps losing you baseballs. Well, it's actually the truth, meaning, like, we've got our shipment of baseballs are stuck out 
off the in the Pacific Ocean out off California. We can, we haven't gotten them. Yeah. And so I had just come out of a meeting in which they're like, Coach, we literally have – we're supposed to be getting our balls in five weeks, and we have, you know, 52 dozen. And so I'm like, oh, my gosh, you know, hang on. So we're going to be playing, you know, games. And so it was fresh in my mind, and I was – I literally sent him a text. I said, Elijah, you've got to remember where you hit these things, and, and you, you know, either pay somebody to go get them or you go get them. But, um, you know, I just made a deal with him. I said, I'll get the opposite field home runs and center field home runs, but the pull side, you got to figure out how to get them back because we only got a certain amount of balls. <laughs> that is that is incredible. It, it, it also – the. The shipping thing that you mentioned there, you know, we we talked to Steve Owens, you know, a few months ago now, and obviously they uh, they lost uniforms in a wild, you know, plane refueling accident right when the season was was what turned out to be finishing. And uh, yeah, you, I, as a baseball coach, shipping is probably one of those things that you don't think when you get into this that you're going to ever think about, like, oh, when are uniforms going to get in or when are balls going to get in? But but here they are, <laughs> an important part of your life now. It is, and, you know, the <laughs> politics and how things are going with China. I never dreamed I'd be, you know, have a vested interest in, you know, what's going on and, you know, the cost of everything going up and, um, you know, making sure things get here on time. And uh, here we are. <laughs> well, how about your rotation? You know, CJ Van Eyck, Shane Drohan, both drafted last year, leaving a couple openings now. Uh, as you look at things here, how, how do you see that shaping up? Well, thank goodness we we had a stockpile last year that, you know, all got their feet wet and are ready to go this year. You know, losing, you know, three guys that are, you know, we're doing an awful lot of, you know, the big heavy lifting last year uh, is going to hurt. But we feel like we've got guys that can, you know, plug right in. You know, the Parker, Parker Messicks of the world, Connor Grady, um, you know, Jack Anderson, Tyler Ahern. I mean, we've got we've got plenty. And then this young pups, the true freshmen, um, you know, they're, they've been really impressive, you know, Wyatt Crowell and um, Bryce Hubbard was another one that got some time last year and I got his feet wet, but um, you know, we feel like we've got, you know, Carson Montgomery is another one. How do I forget him? By the way, he's got no business being in college, man. He's been, he's been as good as advertised, if, if not better. And uh, we're crazy excited about our pitching staff. Yeah, I'm curious how you've, you've kind of approached one, one thing that I think is universal across college baseball is you mentioned a guy like Carson Montgomery who comes in who has, you know, your words, and I agree, you know, no business being in college baseball. That's just the way that things have gone. I mean, I think there are a lot of teams that have a guy they feel that way about. Um, you know, how have you kind of approached you and your coaching staff uh, this unique fall and now preseason practice period where you maybe got some guys on campus you didn't expect to get guys back on campus you didn't expect to get back and how you've kind of approached that the competition on campus, given that um, this is probably not exactly the roster you expected to have when you went into the beginning of last season. No, it definitely isn't. And uh, anytime you can land a, you know, a Carson Montgomery and Wyatt Crowell and, um, you know, there's others that I'm you know, forgetting, but, you know, it's, it's good. It's, it's good for a lot of reasons. Um, you know, our brand of baseball, our product this year is going to be really fun to watch. And I think the popularity of college baseball, because it's literally going to probably be like double a baseball and um, you know, the TV TV rating should be really good. And you know, even with, you know, 25% capacity in most places, I think it'll be a good product and it's good for everybody. But um, you know, the Carson Montgomery's of the world, you know, why I'm, the reason I'm really excited about him because most guys like that, um, you know, the high profile, um, they've never been coached because most of the time they're, you know, they're, they're scared of it. Well, and then when you get them, they don't want to be coached. And Carson is not that way at all. He's a sponge. Uh, he's a hard worker. Uh, people gravitate towards him. He always says he seems to say the right things. And, um, you know, he's been uh, quite a blessing. One of the other things that's uh, it's going to be different this year in college baseball is, you know, within the ACC, you're playing 12 conference series up from 10. How does that change your approach, your preparation as uh, as you get into the season? You just the, the pitching, you, you've got to have it to where, thank goodness we have depth, but you've got to have it to where they stay, you know, sharp, but healthy. 
Um, and we're going to use a ton of guys. It's going to make for longer games. I've already apologized to our fan base, but we've we got to keep them, you know, fresh but uh, sharp. And uh, 12 series in our league, that is, that's rough. You know, it's going to be difficult to navigate. Um, and, again, hopefully uh, you stay healthy, you know, COVID and uh, injury-wise because those are the teams that are going to, you know, win the most. And um, we've got to get our games. We only have 50. Um, don't get me going on that, but, um, you know, we, we've got to make sure we get them in and, and we can't have postponements, but, uh, because of COVID that's critical. I mean, one of the other key pieces, right. Is that you start ACC play week two, you guys have, uh, you know, a familiar face in Mike Bell coming down with his pit team in week two. Um, that has to change. Uh, I would imagine that has to change a little bit how you maybe approach that North Florida series to begin the season because you've really got to make a pretty quick evaluation on what you wanted to go into ACC play with in a normal year. You've got at least a few weeks before you have to start to make those kind of decisions. Yeah, exactly. And that's what we're really doing since we have a lot of arms is we're, we're scrimmaging a lot. We've got to figure out, you know, who's going to play where and where we're best off. And, you know, okay, if this happens and this guy goes down for COVID or for injury, what's going to happen here? Because you're right. We're getting thrown straight into the fire against a very good pit club and, North Florida's always um, they can always play and and Mercer and then Virginia and you know it's 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 game on right away so uh, we've got a you know an awful lot to cover you know a lot of times you kind of work your way into it and we'll implement this later and we'll implement this later but uh, I told our guys that the one of the most critical things you can do this you know spring training is things have got to sink in we can't be going back over this stuff and back over this stuff because we'll be behind and you know get our butt beat. You talk about, you know, Pitt there starting the, the, the season and you know, they and a lot of other teams around the ACC, maybe every team in the ACC probably feels like they're better this year uh, than they were last year. Just so much talent. You look at what Miami has, Virginia, Louisville, you guys have. Uh, it's really impressive. What do you see? Like, what stands out to you when you look around uh, the conference these days? Just the, the arms, you know, we, we've got, you know, Ross Dunn and Carson Montgomery and guys, we were like, what in the world? They shouldn't be in college. And you know that everybody else has got them, uh, guys that you've seen and guys that, um, you know, would have signed and, um, you know, didn't sign and they're back. And they're older. I mean, we got Chase Haney for a six year, you know, <laughs> that's going to frustrate an awful lot of people, you know, when he comes trotting out of the bullpen, but everybody's got them. So that's the attention to detail that we're stressing our guys is we've got to be able to, you know, to win in different ways. You got to beat them with the glove, beat them with your legs, beat them with your mind. Uh, small ball is going to be in play uh, because runs are going to be hard to, to come by. And uh, you can't miss opportunities to score from second on a base hit and, you know, score from first on a double, little things like that. It's gonna, I think it's going to be low scoring all throughout the year, um, you know, with p- pitching at a premium. You know, I, I can't let you out of here uh, without asking for an update on 11. Uh, you know, what is uh, what's Mike Martin been been doing during this quarantine and, and how have you enjoyed being able to spend some more family time, you know, during uh, during the, this strange uh, last lawn off season? Yeah, it's ironic you, you, you asked that because um, just this morning uh, I got a buddy sent me a text and, you know, just said, hey, I just saw 11 at uh, like the hardware store something like that so and, and he's been good you know they, they're getting anxious and I get it and what have you but um, you know we had a deal look I you know I've got friends I've you've got friends that are younger my sisters you know we, we y'all just hold tight we've come this far just hold tight so um, so I called him and said hey what you up to and he's like oh nothing you know just kind of kicking around and blah blah, blah. kind of got quiet I said you been at the hardware store who told you that? And I said, partner, everybody knows what you look like. You can't, even with a mask on, you ain't going to, you know, think that you can't be seen and stuff like that. So to answer your question, he's doing good until this morning. But all in all, mom and dad are fine. Um, you know, no instance, uh, you know, instances of COVID or anything like that. But I think they're like everybody else and getting, you know, a little bit antsy. And um, But hopefully the baseball being right around the corner, we can occupy his mind. Uh, getting him out here to the field and uh, the weather's a little crappy right now so you know us Martins we don't like being cold that's uh, I think that one of the universal things in, in this situation with COVID has been uh, 
you know, folks trying to keep their, their parents out of, you know, from getting itchy and trying to try to do things and go places they shouldn't be going. And it makes, makes us kids nervous for them. And so that's, I think that's a universal, universal thing right now. Well, um, exactly. And, and we'll get, again, they were, they were doing great, but I'm, I'm starting to lose them a little bit. I think. <laughs> well, we're, I mean, we're all getting a little antsy, I guess, you know, it's, uh, yeah. you know, that time of year, I suppose. Um, we'll, we'll get you out of here on, on one final question. That's, um, you know, uh, we, we joke that it's the most important. Teddy would tell you it's not a joke, but we joke that it's the most important question we ask. And so I will, I will ask it and I will filibuster a little bit to give you a second to, to think about it. But we ask all of our guests to name or describe their favorite sandwich. And so some people we've had on the podcast will describe to us how they make their favorite sandwich. If it's a sandwich they make at home, you know, they describe how they, how they toast the bread for the grilled cheese or what kind of condiments they put on their BLT or what have you. Or what other people have done is they have described to us a sandwich they get from some local place that they have this favorite sandwich they get with, you know, a coach and his staff go once a week to this place and they, this is the sandwich he gets. So you can take it in any direction you would like. Uh, but please, Mike Martin Jr., describe to us your favorite sandwich. Well, you got to go BLT. Um, you know, the bacon has to be crispy. A mm-hmm. um, little extra on the mayo. Um, lettuce needs to be crunchy. The tomato needs to be um, – I don't like soft tomatoes. got to be kind of a firm tomato. Um, do not toast. Uh, don't like anything toasted. Um, Jersey Mike's, in my opinion, makes the best sub as far as – around here at least. Uh, but I, my go-to is the, the BLT and um, take a lot of products. The bacon's got to be even too. So every bite that you, t- you take, you got to have some bacon in there. Uh, that's, that's paramount. Yeah, agree 100%. That's, a, that's an important piece no matter what sandwich you're making is every bite has to be consistent. Like the, the worst thing is when you get a bite of just nothing but bread and, and mayonnaise right. or, or whatever it is. Right. So yeah. Probably, yeah you, totally, you un- that. totally unacceptable. I totally agree. Agreed. You have to have a level of excellence in everything, including making a sandwich. So I, I agree with that. Um, yeah, BLT, I forget which coach it was. We had a coach on, maybe Teddy remembers, we had a coach on earlier this offseason who said BLT as well. And I think there's good reason for that. It's just a classic sandwich. You know, it's hard to go. There's a reason it's been around as long as it has. It's a reason that it's kind of one of the most commonly known sandwiches. So I, I'm with you. I'm with you yeah. with the the crispy tomatoes, you don't want mush. Like you don't oh. want mush in your sandwich when you're coming, when you're talking about a BLT. Yeah, I got two teenage boys, so there's never any ham or turkey. I, I put that in there, but there's never any of that around. They just <laughs> all of it. Cold cuts don't last long at that age. I, I, I get it. They do not. <laughs> well, I really appreciate you taking the time here. And uh, I wish I remembered who the other BLT coach was because that's uh that's a classic sandwich that I, I definitely 100% am behind that one as well. So we really appreciate you taking the time to uh, to join us here on the podcast today. And we're we're going to be excited to see the Knowles once, uh, once opening day rolls around here in a few weeks. Well, we're excited as well. We appreciate you having me on and you guys keep up the great work. Thank you again to Florida State coach Mike Martin Jr. for joining us today on the Baseball America College podcast. Uh, Joe, I I was dying uh, I was muted, but I was dying at the uh, at his story about 11. Uh, love that. Listeners know how I feel uh, about 11. Um, fantastic story. Relatable story, I think, for a lot of people, as, as you mentioned. Uh, but love that. Uh, but what about the Knowles in 2021? Um, you know, it's, uh, it's an interesting group. Elijah Cabell, Robbie Martin, Reese Albert, exciting outfield. We didn't really talk about what they have, you know, else returning, but you know, there's there's a lot returning there offensively, and and what sounds like, and, and what you know, I expect to be the makings of a, a pretty talented pitching staff. Yeah, I would agree. I, I think they're in a an enviable position where they have kind of, for lack of a better way of putting it, because he mentioned they had excess pitchers. Last season, they're now in a position where, A, they're kind of used to this idea, right? This is not a new idea for them. And secondarily, they kind of probably already had a feel for, okay, I mean, they they knew C.J. Van Eyck, for example, in any scenario, was not going to be around for another year. The the rest of the guys, we could debate what they expected there, but they kind of knew this was coming. So they probably already had a pretty good idea in their mind. Um, of what they were going to do in, in 21 as far as, as filling those roles. So they were probably pretty well prepared for this. And um, I'm sure that plans were fluid as they've been for everything, given given what we've been through in, in 2020. But so I think I, I'm a little more confident than I 
than I would have been otherwise hearing him say that, you know, we, we, we were pretty stacked last year and weren't quite sure, you know, where to find innings for everybody. So we, that's not a new idea for them. I kind of uh, like hearing that because I think it probably makes them a little more prepared in 2021. And, and as you mentioned, the talent is good on the mound. And furthermore, they're not going to have to do a ton with this lineup. Florida State always hits. That's a baseline. However, there's a lot of really good individual talent here. Um, even in years when Florida State has not had big-time talents, they've always produced, but this this group has has both. So I think that's really exciting. Shout out to the, the, the Elijah Cabell anecdote that I that I told. I, I saw that on Twitter. Brent Nevitt, who does the, a podcast on FSU baseball called Sunday Golds, uh, just a shout out to him because he's the one that, that pulled that quote from Mike Martin Jr. So I want to make sure I gave him a little bit of a credit there. That's where I, that's where I saw that. But that's kind of funny because, um, you know, I did not actually realize at the time that it was a legitimate worry. I just thought it was kind of like a thing that he said because it's a funny, yeah, it's a funny quote. I did not actually realize there was a little bit of concern here about whether or not they're going to have enough baseballs to last uh, up, uh, up until they need them to last. So that <laughs> kind of adds, I guess, a layer of seriousness to it. But I'm guessing that uh, that's a problem that Mike Martin Jr. is going to be willing to tackle if it means that Elijah, Elijah Cabell is, is uh, hitting balls to the, to the moon uh, repeatedly, right up there uh, to the moon next to the GameStop stock price. I mean, that's uh, like he's hitting him to the circus, right? I mean, if I'm yeah. remembering yeah, my FSU right. campus tent. geography right, like he's hitting him to the circus. That's right. Yep. The circus tent, and I, and I presume repeatedly off. See, that's the thing, too, is, you know, you got the scoreboard out there and left. I mean, that's probably deflecting a lot of them. I mean, that's probably the saving grace here is that a lot of them are deflecting off that scoreboard and just falling to whatever's below that. So that, that well, also, I mean, so the to to left field they have a parking lot that's why you know he's okay with getting those balls he's more concerned about the balls going to right field because as as you might know at dick hauser uh it, it it really abuts the street basically so you know if you're putting the if the ball is really going a long way to right field like you're putting him across the street and yeah that that becomes a much much more good luck finding that yeah you get a you get a lot of uh, the thing about the parking lot though, is there's gotta be a lot of roll on those, you know, you're talking for some pretty long walks. So there's, cause you, you, you do get a, and, and those balls, I mean, you're probably not thinking about them too. They'll be scuffed up enough. I mean, those are nothing, nothing but BP balls at that point. So um, which is probably, I guess what they're, what they're using anyway in this scenario, but, but yeah, so I, I you know, exciting, exciting times for them. I, I'm really fascinated to see the, fascinated to see how the pitching shakes out too. But like I said, I just kind of have a little bit of confidence that, you know what, th- these guys are just so talented on the mound. And, and yeah, we don't exactly know um, who's going to be in, in what role, but I think they'll get that figured out. And, and you and I have talked about this before. I, I'm trying to let go of like one of my, one of my hangups with teams sometimes is like, yes, I, you know, the talent is good, but, but what are their roles and how are they, how are they going to make it work? And I, I'm trying to kind of let go of that because, you know, that's been proven to, to not be that big of a deal time and time again. And sometimes it is, but more often than not, talent wins out. So I'm, I'm having a little faith here and hearing Mike Martin Jr. say confidently that, yeah, you know, we, you know, we had a lot of guys last year, so we feel fairly prepared for this year uh, really helped me help me come along. So I'm, I'm excited to see what they have. Um, they are right in that part of the rankings. Like we talked about last time where things start to get a little bit sticky with, we don't know what to expect with some teams and, and FSU is certainly part of that mix. Um, but because they're ranked where they are shows that we, we do have some confidence that they're going to be there, um, be there in the end. You know, what I thought was interesting as we start to transition from Noel's talk to broader ACC talk, he said what stands out to him the most about the ACC is the level of pitching. And for several years, I felt like that's been kind of what has separated the ACC from the SEC, what what has made the SEC a little bit better top to bottom is just the amount of power arms that the SEC has. But it does seem like now the ACC is improving on the mound. You look at what uh, you know Miami did in the draft last year, what we expect them to do this year, that Florida State had to, of their starters drafted. Um, you, know, you, you can look well beyond just, just those two clubs, uh, but you know, just in the state of Florida, the ACC two, ACC's two teams improved on the mound. Uh, you know, Mason Pelio at Boston College, uh, all preseason All-American himself, Louisville, of course, we know what they do on the mound. 
you know, Virginia, it, it just seems like there's better pitching in the league. And it'll be interesting to see if that helps them, you know, catch up beyond, uh, you know, what they, they've done, close that gap on the SEC, I guess, first of all. And then second of all, can the ACC teams continue this? And there's reason to think that they could uh, and that they will. You know, you look at the investment Wake Forest has made and, you know, they had a first round arm last year and could have another one this year. Georgia Tech seems to be moving along in that direction. Uh, you know, I know, you know, some of the these other teams that, that you know, consistently have produced strong pitching staffs, you know, Virginia and Louisville, they're still doing their thing. Um, you know, so if some of these other teams can, can come along with that and, and find some of these, these big arms themselves, I mean, that's a significant development uh, that affects not just the ACC, but potentially the broader landscape of college baseball. I think that's a great point. Uh, you know, I hadn't really thought about it that way, but you even look at every guy, every team last year, most teams had had a real dude. I mean, you even look at teams that aren't traditionally known for having that type of guy and Clemson hit on Sam Weatherly, who, you know, sure, I guess maybe we shouldn't take four weeks and assume it was going to be that all season, but clearly major league baseball thought highly of him, you know, that the Rockies selected him um, last year. And, and so he goes off in the draft after proving himself at North, at NC state, you had Nick Swinney, who, again, that's not a program that is known for developing that kind of, of arm. They're, they're actually kind of known for the opposite where it's like a lot of good college pitchers and they just kind of like cobble together a, a pitching staff every year. That's, that's good enough. Of course, BC with Pelio, but Wake Forest, you mentioned the first rounder, Jared Schuster, really developed now it looks like Ryan Cusick might be coming behind him and Virginia Tech had Ian Seymour uh they had a really good reliever in, in Zach Brixey so it just seemed like every, every team had a dude and I think that's an important milestone too because that's one thing you say about the SEC year after year right is that even the teams that aren't particularly good I think about a Kentucky a couple of years ago that had Zach Thompson where it was like well yes with Kentucky maybe as another SEC team you feel confident about winning that series, but you know, you're going to be in a fight on Friday because you're going to have to face Zach Thompson. Missouri's kind of the same way. Missouri might not have been the best team in, in the SEC the last several years, but you were going to have to, you know, have to deal with uh, TJ Sykema. Um, they've got a guy, you know, they've got guys this year too. So I think that is a step for the ACC as well, that even some of these teams that maybe aren't going to be in the mix for postseason contention are still the types of teams that, that aren't going to get swept because they're going to have a, they're going to give you a fight at least, on, on Fridays. And so that's a step. And I think the, the depth here, I think in general with momentum is such a, um, a tough thing to grasp. And there's arguments about whether or not that kind of exists, but on a program level, I think it can. And, you know, it's just hard to argue that it, it, that it feels like there's upward momentum across most of the league here, particularly at the bottom. When you look at some of the, the improvements made by schools like BC um, not just on the field, but also in terms of the facility, what Notre Dame is doing. Look, you and I have a little bit of disagreement on just how good we expect Notre Dame to be coming into this year, but there's no doubting the momentum there. I mentioned Virginia Tech, even at Pitt with former FSU assistant Mike Bell. There's definite momentum there. So the bottom of the league is getting a lot better, and I think that's what makes this league so fascinating because I would be, you know, as, as good as we think Virginia is, for example, um, it's really hard to see any team just completely running away and putting up a gaudy record in this ACC, in this ACC, just given the talent from top to bottom. Yeah. We've talked for um, the last couple of years about can the SEC break the record and get 11 teams into regionals. And, you know, we're going to talk about that again with the SEC this year, but I think you can talk about it with the ACC as well. And you know, the ACC hold is tied with the SEC for that record. They've, they've both put 10 teams in regionals before. And, you know, you look at the, the ACC this year and we have a, a bunch of them ranked uh, already. You look at some of the teams just on the outside of the rankings, like Clemson, um, you know, that, that, that they're certainly going to probably get in the mix, you know, we, we would expect. And, you know, uh, Wake Forest and Boston College have no shortage of talent. Notre Dame, you know, yes, we have a difference of opinion, but, you know, they were off to a very impressive start last year, finished at 11-2. and two. A lot of that team's back. I mean, I think they have Omaha upside. And, uh, you know, Virginia Tech, North Carolina, we, we know what those programs are capable of, particularly UNC. Um, 
you know, I, I just think a lot of these teams are going to be in the mix at the end of the season. And when it comes time to put together a projected field of 64, it becomes hard to cut the ACC down just to nine, eight, nine, ten 10 teams. You know, you, you get in an 11th team in feels like a very, very real possibility. Now, what I don't know is how playing 12 ACC weekends is going to affect that. That means that so they have 36 conference games. They only have 14 non-conference games because they're only allowed to play 50 games this year. Um, you know, plus whatever happens in, in the ACC tournament, whatever that looks like. But that means that teams are going to have a little less gaudy record. There are probably going to be fewer teams pushing 40 wins this year and or even potentially pushing 35 wins in the ACC. So what does that mean when the committee looks at them? How is the committee going to evaluate these things? You know, we don't quite know what that's going to mean yet, uh, but the, the talent is here. The depth of, of talent is here for the ACC to put in 10, 11 teams to regions. Yeah, like it doesn't, it doesn't even feel like that heavy a lift, honestly. Like if, if it, let's say that, that you're more right than I am on Notre Dame. So like they're like Clemson. So we give that to Notre Dame Clemson. Like you just, I just kind of get the sense they're one of the higher floor teams in the ACC. Like it feels like they're, I don't want to, nobody's a lock, but like, my goodness, that feels like a lock, you know, uh, Wake Forest and BC, we, we know what they're bringing to the table talent wise. It just, it's, it doesn't, once you get past the teams that we have ranked. Okay. So we've got nine of them ranked. So that's a pretty good start there. And then you're telling me two others get in like, yeah, that seems pretty reasonable. And I think it is going to be the kind of year for better or worse when you start to look at a, a league like the big 10, which isn't going to play as of this recording, isn't going to play non-conference games. Um, that I don't think that helps them. I think that that hurts them. It does so, not help them. No. Correct. Also, yeah. fact check seven ACC teams uh, ranked. Uh, that's my fault. I put the number nine in Joe's head. Oh, okay. Well, thank you for thank you for being the bigger man and stepping up to your owning up to your mistake. <laughs> yes, but seven. Okay, but even still, like we're talking, you know, BC and Clemson were right in the discussion. So that, I mean, that's your nine right there. And yeah, but so point still stands though. It doesn't feel like doesn't feel like that heavy a lift to get to the numbers kind of numbers we're talking about, but. Uh, where was I? Where, oh, yes. Yeah. So, um, you know, the Big Ten maybe goes from a four, five, if things go really well, bid league to maybe three. I also think when you look at mid-major schedules, now, I've not seen all the schedules in the Missouri Valley, for example, which is at this point has established itself as a, as a two-bid league. Quite often, I, I've not looked at all of those, but if those schedules are a little more regional than they normally are, um, everyone outside of Dallas Baptist um, would, would be hurt a little bit by that. So there is, there's that component. If these mid-major programs are not really going to be able to schedule as aggressively as they would normally, uh, does that hurt the number of teams that come from mid-major leagues? So that's, that remains to be seen, but, and those numbers are relatively small, but if you're talking about, uh, the big West is another example. There's a lot of, um, you know, there's a lot of up in the air about what's big, big West. <laughs> right. I mean, there's a lot of up in the air about what schedules are going to look like in the big West. Now they're allowing teams to play some non-conference games, but it looks like it's going to be a little bit splintered in terms of some will, some won't. And the ones that do are probably, you know, going to be a little bit of a mixed bag. So, um, you know, it could be a one big, one bid big West. Those bids have to go somewhere and chances are they're going to the sec and ACC, honestly. So um, when you factor all that in, like, I just don't think it's that, that crazy that that we're talking about maybe the sec and the acc are both knocking on the door of, of breaking that record 2021 seems like the year that kind of thing would be there for the taking yeah i i absolutely think that's right um for a story in the college preview issue i, I spoke with boyd nation who runs boydsworld.com which tracks rpis and boyd has a uh, the isr his own computer metric um, that you may have heard about over college baseball anytime in like the last two decades. I think he's been doing this uh, for, for a fairly long time. And um, you know, he told me that if you regionalize schedules, RPI, you know, it, it's going to have a factor on your RPI and it, it winds up hurting programs and therefore conferences in locations where there just isn't a whole lot of diversity in terms of the teams. 
uh, where they have to play each other. The, and there's they don't get a whole lot of, of teams from outside the region coming in. And you know, so the, the places where that's really going to get impacted uh, traditionally would, would be the West Coast, where you know, we already know RPI has, has a problem with that. And uh, you know, some of the more northern places, I think, are, are going to be um, you know, fighting against that a little bit. Um, but you know, if the Pac-12 drops a bit or two because of that, uh, you know, the Big Ten's definitely not going to get five teams playing conference teams only. I, I cannot imagine that. Um, you know, and, and you know, the, the there are other places where where these bids could come from, and I think the ACC is definitely in a position to take advantage. Um, I remember, you know, a couple of years ago when this year's third year players were, were freshmen, Mike Rooney liked to say that the best class in the ACC was the freshmen, and you know, that's really kind of been borne out. If you look at our draft rankings, if you look at preseason All Americans. Uh, you see a lot of ACC. And while that is boosted a little bit by a couple of fourth year players in, in Terrell and Seymour, uh, you know, maybe you're looking at, you know, Robbie Martin, you're looking at Adrian Del Castillo, uh, you're, you're looking at Ryan Cusick, um, you're looking at a whole host of Louisville players, uh, the Zach Geloff from Virginia, um, you know, they're, they're there. They're, to be, they're there to be found in this this third year third year group in the in the conference, and I I think it's going to pay dividends this spring uh, in, in a big way. I'll give you the credit for this one because I think you're the first person that brought it to, to my attention anyway. That um, because they're limiting ACC to to 50 games, it, it puts um, this is on on topic because we talked to Mike Barnett today, it puts the streak of 41 seasons for FSU in a little bit of jeopardy. Now they, they will uh, theoretically have the ACC tournament and the postseason to goose that number a little bit, but um, certainly in order to keep that streak alive, they're going to have to do some heavy lifting in the regular season to make sure they get close enough um, because otherwise they're not going to be, I mean, the, the total number, unless they make a really deep run, the total number is going to be closer to 56, even with a postseason run. So um, they will, they will have to, uh, have the type of season that we think they can have on the high end in order to keep that streak going. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you, if they keep the ACC tournament format, the same, you can presume only up to four games, uh, in the ACC tournament for Florida state, you know, then in regionals, you add another, you know, four more, maybe, um, you know, supers another couple more like, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's not going to be like you have 70 shots at this. Um, they're going to have to have a really high winning percentage to win 40 games uh, for, for another, another season. And, you know, hopefully they keep it going. I just like that that streak exists. I like fun kind of goofy streaks like that. Like, Oh yeah. Florida state has won 40 games in a row, 40 years. Like how crazy is that? Uh, I love when, when sports has things like that. So uh, you know, I, uh, I enjoy the streak. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll definitely be following it. And I know the people in Tallahassee will be as well. And I don't know how forgiving they're going to be uh, of the fact that Florida State couldn't schedule uh, up to 56 games this year. I, I think that they're, they're very much going to be expecting uh, 40 wins regardless. Yeah, no doubt. And, you know, if this team is as good as we think they can be, you know, they, they still very well could get there. So, um, my last, I guess my, my, my final word on this is I, I think people can probably, uh, guess that, that, that we are both pretty excited about seeing how the ACC plays out. And while it is a little bit wonky and, you know, we have maybe some questions about how well we can expect the ACC schedule to go, uh, because they, they are packing in 12 weeks back to back to back to back to back all the way through. And we've seen in basketball that, um, and football for that matter, that giving yourself some breathing room is not a bad thing. So we'll, we'll just have to see how that goes. Um, but it is kind of a cool little quirk that we are going to have big time ACC series right away. You know, uh, I know here locally, uh, Georgia Tech is coming to Raleigh second week. Um, Virginia is coming to UNC second week, which are those are the first series out of the gate in, in ACC play. So a couple of, of big time ones right off the bat. So uh, you know, they're, they're going to get going fast. Like it's going to get real very, very quickly. And I know we, we talked with, with Mike Martin jr. I mean, they got, I don't mean to disparage Pitt, but you know, they got one of the better draws Florida state did in getting Pitt at home second, you know, the, the opening weekend of ACC play. And, and while Pitt is better, 
Um, that's certainly a series that, that FSU, uh, you know, should be able to handle just on, even if they haven't figured everything out on talent alone. So we'll have to wait and see, but um, other teams were not quite so fortunate with, with the draw. If uh, you know, um, you know, uh, you know, UNC getting Virginia in week two, while they're trying to, still trying to figure things out is, is not exactly the, the kindest draw that one could have received. Absolutely not. Uh, before we get out of here, one, one final question here for you, Joe, and I'm putting you on the spot. If we say Adrian Del Castillo is the ACC player of the year, like let, let's just, let's just spot that one up. We, we feel like Del Castillo is one of the absolute best position players in the country. There are other contenders to be sure, but let's, let's just give that one. Who are you taking as ACC pitcher of the year? While you think, hmm. I'll let you know that Carlos yeah. Colazzo, who does our ACC preview, he picked Mason Pelio. And that is a completely solid suggestion. Uh, nothing wrong with that prediction at all. Um, you know, but there are a lot of options and it is, it is not as obvious on the pitching side as it seems to be on the hitting side. I agree. Like this is not a, not an easy question. Cause as I, as I look through, you've got, you know, I guess the flip side of last year, having every team has had a dude, uh, and that still could be the case this year, but a lot of those dudes have moved on. Right. So, you know, we, we, we don't know what we're getting at Miami. We don't know what we're getting at. Um, you know, we don't know what we're getting at NC state and Clemson. So those Louisville even for that matter. So that is really, really fascinating. I guess I would, Pelio is a good pick. I guess feet to the fire. I would probably go Ryan Cusick or maybe Cooper Stinson um, at Duke. Those, those would be my, my, my first stabs at that, but you know, I get a feeling it's going to be for no other reason. This is just the way things go. I, I get a feeling it's going to be somebody like a, like a Louisville pitcher, like a, you know, Glenn Albanese or Michael Kirian that, that kind of just really takes to a new role really quickly. I, I kind of get a feeling it's going that direction, but, but I'll go, I guess I'll stick to one. I'll go Cusick um, as my. Yeah, that is who Carlos was deciding between, um, at least as he presented it to me. Cusick and Pelio um, can't go wrong with that, but I do think the inclination that it's going to be somebody that isn't like as well known or is in a new role—that's kind of where I'm headed. Um, you know, I don't know. Louisville and Virginia both have the deepest pitching staffs don't fully know what their rotations are going to look like. Um, but I think your safest bet or like this is, this is cheated in, in a lot of ways as my dog goes crazy on some uh, packaging materials. If you're hearing that in the background, uh, I, I would say that the best Virginia or Louisville pitcher, it would probably be where I was going. If I'm forced to, uh, to pick one, um, you know, I don't want to put anything past Andrew Abbott. Uh, I, I think that that he he might be able to get it done, or Kirian. You know, those are those are two left-handers moving to uh, to starting roles. But you know, I just feel like Griff McGarry, a lot of experience there, flies under the radar. Not the kind of draft prospect as some of these other guys, but a lot of experience, a lot of a lot of feel for what he's doing on the mound. So you know, that 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 kind of thing seems to play pretty well. Uh, typically uh, throughout college baseball. And, you know, I, I Cusick, Pelio, uh, you know, some of the guys down at Miami, uh, those guys are the big draft prospects. They're going to throw harder, but, you know, maybe, maybe give me Griffin Gary. That's a good choice. He definitely came to mind uh, for me as, as well. And I think sometimes we overlook the guy who's just really productive over a number of years, because, you know, let's be honest, like, the accumulation of having been a name that people know for a while can be an important factor in this. Sometimes they can be a little bit of, um, you know, in, in terms of how we view pitchers, the, the accumulation can be something that, that matters and it can be a little bit of a career achievement type of, of thing rather than being for the, the most talented pitcher or just the best pitcher in that given year. Now, if it's, if it's a no brainer, it's a no brainer, but if there's a little bit of ambiguity there, like Griff McGarry being a guy who's been around the program seems to maybe have a little, have had a little bit of a breakthrough last year can be like a power, powerful narrative thing that, that drives things that way. So I think, um, you know, he's, he's a good choice. And, you know, you mentioned not, not as much of a prospect as some of the other guys, but, you know, still, still a guy who's going to get a shot at, at pro ball. So he's not any sort of just slop tosser up there. He can, he can bring it as well. So, um, 
Yeah, it's it's a great question because I did when you asked the question, I, I kind of expected there to be, as I looked at it, a more obvious answer, but there there really isn't. I think there's a lot of uh, justifiably good answers to to this question. Absolutely, and you know, I, I think again that goes back to some of the depth in this conference. Uh, we talked a lot about it, and I think that that's uh, to go full circle on it. I, I think that's that's kind of what what we're talking about—a good representation of what we're talking about in terms of the overall depth. And then specifically on the pitching mound, the, the improvement that the, the conference has made in, in that area. So it'll be an interesting conference. It always is. We have your preseason favorite as Virginia. Uh, look for uh, a lot of competition there from Louisville, uh, you know, from Florida State, from Miami, uh, and, and, and beyond. This is a conference that uh, is, is going to be in the mix all season long. And you're going to see a lot of teams ranked and then a lot of teams selected to the NCAA tournament. Uh, so we're going to come back here later this week. We're back to doing twice a week podcasts uh, as we get ready for the season. We'll have another conference preview on Thursday or Friday, uh, whenever that, that episode drops. And when that episode drops, uh, if you're subscribed on your favorite podcasting app, be that Apple podcast, Stitcher, Spotify, anywhere you can find the Baseball America podcast and subscribe and it'll come right there in your phone. Don't even have to think about it. You can just press play and, uh, you know, get some more college baseball uh, talk from, from Joe and myself. Until then, you can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Ted Cahill. Joe is at Joe Healy. There's plenty of stuff over at the website to check out. The conference previews are starting. In addition to the All-America teams, we have some interesting feature content coming over the next couple of weeks as well. So check all of that out over at BaseballAmerica.com. Thank you to Rap Soto for presenting the Baseball America College podcast, as always. Thank you to Mike Martin Jr. for joining us today. For Joe, I'm Teddy. Thank you guys for listening. We'll talk to you next time on the Baseball America College podcast.